Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. In the last 12 months at Harvest, um, we've had a few babies born. <laughs> and those are most of them. We ha- had the idea late in the week that uh, this would fit in with the sermon, and I would bring that out. So we, uh, Nikki, my assistant, reached out to the parents, and uh, we got most of them uh, with their permission, their pictures. They, they just keep coming. You notice how many of those are girls up there? <laughs> uh, and there are more on the way. There are more uh, pregnancies on the way with girls. So it's just exciting to see new life like that. And parents, I know you're excited. Some of you, it's your very first time. Some of you have multiple children. And You will watch your children, you'll watch them grow and develop and the things they do are, will be cute and they'll be exciting, but you will not want them to stay there. You can't imagine right now that, I mean, for some of you, you're, you'll just be excited when they roll over or when they sit up or they start crawling and then they finally stand on their own, right? And take that first step and it's, one thing after another, and that's normal, but if they can only do those things three years from now or five years from now, you you will not be happy. <laughs> You'll be excited. I don't think any of those children there can say they're ABCs yet, but I want to tell you who can. My three-year-old granddaughter can. <laughs> Yesterday was her birthday, and I reached out to my daughter-in-law and said, do you, do you think Addison could, like, sing the ABCs? And so she not only sang them, Helen dressed her in an outfit that's got ABCs on it. Watch this. I know I'm biased, but that's pretty cute, right? <laughs> but it wouldn't be cute if that's all she could do five years from now. What if she were 13? What if she were 20? What if she were 25 and, and couldn't read yet that, that that would be all that she could do? You know, God has made us and created us to grow. To move from immaturity to maturity. And what he has created us to do and be physically, he's also created us to do spiritually. That's what our passage today is going to talk about. So I invite your attention to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. We're teaching and preaching through the book of Hebrews. And today we're going to talk about moving beyond the ABCs. Now let me set the context 
of this passage for you before reading it. Before launching into the deep waters of how Jesus is a priest like Melchizedek, which he's going to do, and he's about to do, and he's actually, the writer has introduced it. But soon he's going to really explain it. But before doing that, the writer of Hebrews laments the reader's spiritual immaturity and issues a strong call for them to press on to maturity. Hebrews 5.11, we have much to say about this. This is the Jesus as high priest like Melchizedek. But it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. So the way this particular unit is structured, uh, if you can think about three blocks All about this call, this exhortation that the writer is making in Hebrews 5, 11. And then I get this from uh, the commentary that's listed there at the bottom. First of all, there's confrontation. Basically, the writer is saying, you're spiritually immature. And that's 5, 11 to 6, 3. And then it's followed by a warning. That puts you in danger. That is followed by mitigation, but I have confidence in you. So you see, he sets it up, confronting them first, warning them second, and then assuring them third. Today, the passage that we're looking at, the portion of this longer section, is what's highlighted in blue there. It is the confrontation. And there we find four characteristics of spiritually immature people. Today, I think it'd be great, as we're listening to God's Word, as we're walking through this passage, to just examine yourself and ask the question, am I mature or immature? How mature am I spiritually? How much has uh, have I grown in my life? How much has God poured into me and I've responded to Him in faith and obedience and grown? How mature am I? Well, we have to know what maturity is and what immaturity is. So let me give you some characteristics of immaturity. That's the way the writer puts it. First of all, uh, spiritually immature people are spiritually sluggish when it comes to the truth. There's a spiritual sluggishness 
when it comes to the Word, to doctrine, to the Bible. He says, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. And that phrase that's translated, no longer try to understand, in the original basically means lazy or sluggish or even dull of hearing. In the Greek Old Testament, that phrase referred to slothful men who refused to work hard or to tackle hard work. Rather than being willing to dive in to do the hard work spiritually, these original readers had become sluggish. Have you ever watched two different kind of workers? Maybe you've observed whether it's a contractor that you hired or maybe somebody out in the public. You just saw you saw somebody that was a diligent worker and they were working hard and they were really working at it. And then you saw somebody maybe just kind of standing around. You, you can shake your head one way or yes or no. Okay. You know what I'm talking about then? This is a picture of people spiritually... They're like on the crew where there's 800 people and, you know, three of them are working and the rest of them are just standing there. They're, they're sluggish. Growing in Christ does not happen automatically. Physically, we don't just lay around and grow. You have to do some things to grow. You have to eat. You have to take in nutrition. Babies, these babies have to take in that nutrition and then they have to exercise. They have to stand up and walk and move and get the joints and everything working. So it's, it's eating, it's exercising and spiritually it's the same way. It's just simple. It's, it's taking in God's word. It's being fed and nourished and it's working it out all week long. It's serving and putting it into practice. I hope this quote from Raymond Brown Challenges you and encourages you. He says, just, or many people casually drift into a low standard of Christian life simply because they minimize the importance of Christian instruction and disciplined Bible study. Quite possibly on most days, they quietly ponder a few verses and say a quick prayer, but it is not to occur to them that this is not nearly enough. Failing to acknowledge their need of it, they slowly lose their desire for it. Somehow or other, however busy he or she may be, every Christian needs to find a regular opportunity for serious study of the Bible. That was the issue here. They were sluggish. And that's what happens when you become sluggish, you lose the desire. Do you have hunger for God's word? Do you desire God's word? If not, it may be because you've just become sluggish and lazy spiritually. Second, this characteristic of immaturity is rather than teaching others, they need to be taught themselves. That's what we find in verse 12. In fact, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. Now, Don't answer out loud yet. I'm going to let you turn to somebody and discuss it for like eight seconds. It might, it might take you longer, not much longer. 
Is it only pastors that he's addressing in verse 12? Is it pastors or elders or Christians who've been believers for 20 years or people who have the spiritual gift of teaching? Are they the audience in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12? Here is the question. Who should teach others? Turn, Look at the passage and turn to somebody around you and answer that question. All right, are you, are you ready for the answer? I know it's a tough one. How many said something like this, all Christians? How many of you? That, that's who is in view here. This is not a special select group. This isn't people, oh, these are the people who have, I'm going to write part of Hebrews to those who have the spiritual gift of teaching. No, this, he's writing to people that are struggling and they're, Tempted and tempted to like throw away their faith in Jesus completely. And he's saying, you're sluggish spiritually and you're just right at the very basics. You should be teaching others. All Christians are called to teach others. This enriching of others is the basic premise of Christianity. Not that you just, I'm glad you're here. I'm really glad you're here listening to God's word. But it's not just you come in and listen and like, okay, I'll go see what I can, how I can survive this next week. You, you're fed so that you can feed others. You're enriched so you can reach others, enrich others. That's whether it's a sermon, a Bible study, a community group or anything, your own personal reading and meditating on scripture. This is the great commission of Matthew 28 when Jesus said, go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and, you know the next word, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. That's for all Christians. Everybody can teach. Everybody should teach. Everybody must teach. This doesn't mean... Teaching like on a Sunday morning before a large crowd. This doesn't mean necessarily leading an official Bible study. It could be leading a Bible study. It might be teaching your son or daughter at home. It might be gathering with another Christian over coffee. One or two or three of you just sharing together from God's word. It might be getting an accountability partner and Sharing with each other what God is teaching you through the sermons or through your community group. It might be taking a newer believer through some basic foundational fundamental truths of Christianity to help them get on their path. But that's a characteristic of immaturity. Rather than teaching others, they need to be taught themselves. So where are you? Where are you with it? The third characteristic is related. I kind of broke these up into two. It could have been one. They, they need the basics rather than solid spiritual food. He says you need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Do you know Elizabeth Elliot? Do you ever read anything or listening to her? She said, it appears that God has deliberately left us in a quandary about many things. 
Why did he not summarize all the rules in one book and all the basic doctrines in another? He could have eliminated the loopholes, prevented all the schisms over morality and false teachings that have plagued his church for 2,000 years. Think of the squabbling and perplexity we we would have been spared. And think of the crop of dwarfs he would have reared. He did not spare us. He wants us to reach maturity. He has so arranged things that if we are to go beyond the milk diet, we shall be forced to think. Now, what is this teaching about righteousness that he's talking about? There, the, the concept of righteousness in the, in the scripture has, has a couple of components for it. It is, it is a right standing that is received by faith in Jesus Christ. So in other words, the righteousness, Jesus was righteous. He was fully perfect. And what he did when he came to live and die on the cross, be buried and rise again, he made it possible to impart his righteousness to those who would believe in him. So righteousness is a right standing. We're not righteous by nature. We don't have a right standing with God, but but his righteousness is his correctness, his justness, and it's it's ours if we are Christians. But the other side of it, righteousness in the Bible also refers to conduct and character. It's living and acting out things in a righteous way. And so I think in this passage, I think the the two of them are linked. I think if if somebody has not gone beyond the basics, they need to be taught about righteousness. They need to be taught that the way to become spiritual is not something they accomplish all on their own. And unfortunately, sometimes people who even have been Christians for many years still struggle with that. Because there's a works mentality. There's an effort-based thing. Maybe it was your past religion you grew up in that emphasized, I got to do this and this and this and this. Maybe it was the home you grew up in. Maybe it's just the way that you are in your nature. But all of us tend to have some challenge, some situation where we think it's up to us. And we need to be taught that ultimately, ultimately, it's not up to us. Christ is our righteousness. And this is part, this is a huge part of how we grow closer to God and how we become more spiritual and how we do indeed do more righteous acts is because we realize that's not me, it's all Jesus. And I trust in him and I believe in him and he has been made righteousness for me. In fact, that's what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, isn't it? It's talking about Jesus. God has made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So 
the idea, the notion of learning, wow, this is, this is what God has done. We also need to be taught what it looks like to live out that righteousness in practical ways. So there's, there are two sides to us. And I think this, you could summarize it this way. Righteousness is a teaching about Jesus that creates right standing with God and creates upright living in daily behavior. Well, look at verse 14. There's there's another uh, characteristic of spiritual immaturity here or spiritual immature, spiritually immature people. They are exposed to the word, but they have not trained themselves to use it. Verse 14, solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. By constant use. (laughs) By constant use. That doesn't happen occasionally. That doesn't happen once a week on Sunday morning. That doesn't happen in moments of great revival. At least it doesn't last. As George Guthrie, commentator, says so well, spiritual maturity comes neither from isolated events nor from a great spiritual burst. It comes from a steady application of spiritual discipline. That's what the writer's talking about here. Spiritual maturity comes from a steady application of spiritual discipline. And the mature are those who by constant use have trained themselves That's a very interesting word. It means to exercise, to train, to undergo discipline. I rarely, I mean, I I study Greek, of course, when I'm teaching out of the New Testament, but I rarely bring actual Greek words out. But this is an interesting one. If you transliterate it into English, it looks like gymnazo, gymnazo, right? And that's how you would say it in Greek, gumnazo. And what English word does that remind you of? A gymnasium, right? Now, it's not like it was put, I mean, the Greek was put there first, and it had this meaning, but sometimes later, these English concepts, there are sometimes when English concepts will pick up a word like that and and carry over some of those connotations. That's just an interesting thing that happens here. We go to a gym to be trained. This word is not used very often in the New Testament. Here's another place where it's used. 1 Timothy 4, 7. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Notice that the verse says the mature, or what the verse says the mature have trained themselves for. And that's to distinguish good and evil. I I played a a lot of different sports growing up, but when I got into high school, when I got into the ninth grade, I wanted to play soccer. Now, it wasn't wasn't like today, you know, kids are starting to play soccer like at five years old and stuff and play all along. 
our little league stuff was football and baseball. There weren't little league soccer things at that time, but I wanted to play soccer. And our coach, I went to a, a small school, our coach had one requirement to make the soccer team. Or actually, before you could even practice with the soccer team, you had to run a mile in six minutes or less. That's That was the first day of practice. You did a mile. We went out down to the track that surrounded the soccer field. And if you made it in six minutes, you could practice and try out for the team. If you didn't make it in six minutes, you could come back the next day and try. And you had to keep doing it and try to... I, I I wasn't used to running. I didn't like running. I loved basketball. I loved the other sports. But that summer, I went into training. <laughs> and it was constant use so that I could make that six-minute mile. Do you think I can do it today? No way. But it... I learned something there that if you really want to achieve something, you can achieve it if you're willing to put the work in for it, like at a physical plane, right? Again, listen to all of it today, not just a piece of it. Spiritually, I think it's it's an analogy the writer's given. It's not my analogy. He is saying, look, this this is how you grow spiritually. You have to train yourself. You can't just hope to be spiritual. I think a lot of people want to be spiritual, want to be close to the Lord. The question is, are you training yourself to be close to the Lord? Are you giving yourself the time and the spiritual disciplines that are required for that? Let me say this. Anybody you admire spiritually did not get there accidentally. So, students, many of you have just come back from a week of camp, and it's been a great week. You drew close to the Lord, and you drew close to each other. Keep on doing that. Keep on drawing close this summer. Don't just let the week pass. Some of you, I'm excited next week to hear from the Honduras team. Some of you really had a great experience in Honduras and God taught you things. Keep on drawing close to him. Church, keep spending time with God alone in prayer and his word. Keep drawing close to him. So the question is, what should every Christian do? Based on seeing what an immature Christian looks like, what should we do? Well, we, first of all, the answer, we turn to verse 1. It's a new chapter, but it's all, it's all one unit here. Uh, Therefore, in light of what I've just told you, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. The answer is really clear in this verse. The writer called them to move beyond the basic teachings about Christ. Move beyond it. Get beyond the basics. And that's a call for us as well. It's really interesting his wording though. Notice what he says. You move beyond, right? That's on you. But there's an interplay here. It's not like you can do it all or you can make it happen. 
We're not talking about legalism. We're not talking about a checklist. We're not talking about pulling yourself up by the bootstraps because look what it says. Move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward. That's passive. God is the one that takes us forward. God is the one that matures us. So there's this real interplay in spiritual growth between us and what God does in us and through us through the Holy Spirit. If we are lazy, if we are sluggish, if we're content just to let somebody else do the hard work spiritually for us and we we listen to the sermons or the teachings, if we don't actually apply the Scripture to our lives, if we actually don't dive into the Scripture ourselves, then we're going to remain in a state of immaturity. So move beyond those basics and those spiritual disciplines. There are many. They include things like Scripture and prayer and fasting and solitude and silence and service. But the disciplines themselves don't actually make us grow. You know, you can actually go, you can do all those things. You can actually spend time in the Bible and not necessarily grow. And you say, well, how does that happen? It depends on the heart attitude that you do them with. And what is happening is when we set aside the time for a spiritual discipline, what we're doing is we're saying to God, here I am, I want to grow. Will you grow me? Will you apply these truths? Will you, will you put it in my heart? Will you show me what to do? Will you help me as I walk it out and live it out? And so that's what happened. That's why I think the writer says, move beyond the basics so that you can be taken forward. It's the Holy Spirit that takes you forward. You don't take yourself forward. But again, you don't sit over on the couch and say, okay, Lord, Go on and take me forward. Got to get up off that couch and on your knees and in this book. And as you're doing that, you say, Lord, take me forward. Take me forward to maturity. It's like here. I like I like this analogy for it. I've, I've admired it. I've never actually I've never actually sailed on a sailboat. Well, I've been on a sailboat, but I haven't done it myself. You know, some of these people go out on a sailboat themselves, right? You're in the middle of the lake, and you want to get back to the shore, and you're laying on the lake, and the wind is really still. And what do you do to get back to the shore? You don't just pray, Lord, get me back to the shore. If you do, the Lord might say, uh, do you see that sail right there? Why don't you hoist it? Right? You have to hoist the sail. You have to put yourself in position, as it were. But even if you hoist it, and it's all up there, and it's big and beautiful, if there's no wind, you're still in trouble. <laughs> you need the wind to move that sailboat. And I think this is the cooperation. We hoist the sail as we study the Bible and we meditate on the Bible and we meet with each other in community and we serve the Lord and we teach others. We're hoisting the sails and God, the Holy Spirit, is 
making the wind blow. He's pushing us along. Does that make sense? So what should we do? What should every Christian do? Here it is. Move beyond the basics and mature. Get beyond the basics. And he lists, of course, what the basics are, which I've made into the ABCs. There was method to my madness in the beginning of this sermon, right? I think these six things that he identifies as the basics, he says, you know, we're not going to lay again this foundation, but he mentions them. You can, they kind of go in twos, in, in pairs. So I've made it an ABC, uh, repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of life. I'm walking this direction in life. But a change of mind when I repent is I look at myself and my sin and God differently. And I repent. Not that I feel sorry. I might feel sorry. But the main thing is that I'm willing to change and to see it differently and say, Oh, God, I'm wrong. I need you. So I'm willing to turn. And as I turn, that's where faith comes in. Faith is belief in him. And dependence on him. And that's how we become a Christian. So the beginning foundation starts. This is how you become a Christian. Not by being baptized or joining a church or turning over a new leaf. It's it's admitting you're a sinner. You know that God has died. Jesus has died on the cross to save you from your sins. And so you were willing to repent. Yes, I deserve separation from you. I want you as my Savior. I turn to you in faith. Repentance and faith. Secondly, the B is for baptism and the laying on of hands. These seem to deal with the believer's relationship with the church, the local assembly of believers. Now, the same original word here can be legitimately translated baptism or washings. And so the NIV translated translates it here, cleansing rites, instructions about cleansing rites, the laying, and then the next one is the laying on of hands. But these cleansing rites, I think it was important for these new converts to understand the teaching about baptism. And there were different washings in the Jewish background that they came out of. There were different uh, religious cleansings. And then it was John's baptism, which was a baptism of repentance that looked forward to the Messiah. And then there was Christian baptism, which is what we practice today. When somebody puts their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it's an outward symbol of their commitment to and faith in Jesus. So that's a foundation, baptisms, the cleansing Rights, and they needed to understand the difference. And laying on of hands, and in the early church, laying on of hands symbolized uh, the impartation of a blessing of some sort. It was tied in with prayer. It it might have been the gift of the Holy Spirit. It might have been healing. It might have been setting apart someone for a mission or commissioning them. And so they would lay the hands on at that point, and then see resurrection and eternal judgment. The resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And he says, God permitting, we will do so. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead was an integral part of the first Christian preaching. When they preached Jesus' death, they also preached his resurrection. And they pointed forward to the future resurrection of all believers and eternal judgment. Now, later in Hebrews... 
He's going to mention judgment in chapter 9, and then he's going to really elaborate on it in chapter 12. Here it's mentioned as foundational, that God has established a day of judgment for all human beings when he will make his judgment. And knowing that motivates a godly lifestyle and gives hope that God will make things right in the end. So how do you go beyond the ABCs? That's the question on your outline. You'll see. How do you to move beyond the ABCs to get to the STUs? What? Well, I didn't I didn't want to say to the XYZ, you know, the beginning of the alphabet. You, you, you get that right. ABC is the beginning of the alphabet. I didn't want to say XYZ because then you think you're done. Well, if you believe that, I also have land to sell in Florida. I, I couldn't think of anything for XYZ, so I could think of something for STU. It's near the end of the alphabet. All right, so let's get beyond the ABCs, and let's say the first thing you got to do is saturate yourself with the Bible. Saturate. Not a quick read. Not a, oh, I come in on Sunday and I'm out. But saturating yourself. And interesting, one of, one of the challenges we all face, there are a lot of challenges with this, but one of the challenges we face, in one sense, has nothing to do at all with the Bible. It's how we take in information today. It's the world in which we live. Nicholas Carr especially is how technology is shaping our minds and lives. And he said that the Internet is chipping away at his capacity and contemplation because of the speed of the words that zoom by. Think about that. If you're old enough, that's many people in this room, maybe most people. If you're old enough to remember what it was like before the Internet, you know what I'm talking about. And listen to the image he uses. He says, once I was a scuba diver in the sea of words. Okay, a scuba diver. Now I zip along the surface like I'm on a jet ski. And I think spiritually... When it comes to God's word, we need to be scuba divers. We need to go slow and look at everything. Take our time, not get on the jet sea and ski and zoom through. That's a challenge. Secondly, if you want to move beyond, teach others. There is no reason that any Christian... I am talking to you. I am talking to every one of you that are Christians. There is no reason at all that should prevent you from teaching others. I'm not speaking to those who have the spiritual gift of teaching. I'm not speaking to the most experienced and most mature people here. I'm talking to you. If you're a believer, you should be teaching others, period. Jesus laid it out. Make disciples. How do you make disciples? You got to teach them. It might be at home. It might be over coffee. It might be in a small group. It might be in a discipleship group. It might be in a Bible study. Let me say this. If you want to obey this command, but you're intimidated, if you're like, I don't really know 
how I can do that. I promise you, I absolutely promise you, if you come talk to me or one of the pastors or one of the elders and you say, I really, really want to do that, but I need help, I promise you we will give you help in that. We'll point you to a resource to use or read. We'll point you to another person that might come beside you. We, or maybe a group will help you find a way so you can do it. So you won't become spiritually dull. Jesus is so awesome. He's so amazing. We can't afford to get dull about him and his word. So teach others. Teach others. We, we, we don't do this here. I, I, I did attend a church in Chicago one time that is related to the third one, and that's use the truth. We do use the truth. I, I shouldn't have said I started my thought too soon there. So let me tell you what this church in Chicago that I attended a couple times did. They, they would say, when you find something to apply in the sermon, after you've heard something that you can really go put into practice, you can stand up and leave. And people did it, apparently. And I don't really want that to happen, but in a way, in a way, it would be cool. If, if I was preaching and you got up and went out, I know what I got to do now. And you went out to do it. Now, when it comes football season, Will, and there's a Panthers game, don't tell me you're going out to obey the word. <laughs> but think about that. Shouldn't we all, every sermon, every Bible study, every time you open the scripture yourself, every community group you attend or Bible study group you attend or whatever, what if you approached and said, Lord, I'm looking for, I want to understand this truth, but two things. One, I want something that I can teach to somebody else, and I want to make a commitment to you to put this into practice. It'll change your life. I guarantee it'll change your life. This is God's word. This is the way it works. Use the truth. Now, at the beginning of the sermon, I pointed to the immediate context of the passage, the which was he's about to talk to them about Melchizedek. And Jesus, a priest like Melchizedek, that's deep waters spiritually. And he says, I can't really go there yet. You... I've got, to, I've got to issue you guys a warning first. You're, you're not mature. And that was the immediate context. But as I'm coming near the end, and be encouraged, I'm coming near the end. I want to point to the larger context. I want you to remember or learn for the first time, if this is your first day thinking about Hebrews in a while, how this fits in. Hebrews is about Jesus, 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 how great he is. Jesus is greater than the angels. He is greater than Moses. He is greater than the human high priest, than Aaron. And, of course, Moses, God used Moses to give 
a, a word to his people and, and the, they didn't mix it with faith. And, and so that's why in the desert they wandered around. But now we've got the revelation through Jesus. And, and if they've experienced that, we, we have to give attention to Jesus. Jesus is great. Jesus is awesome. He is amazing. He's your priest. He can relate to you. So all of Hebrews, pretty much, mostly, there have been a, some exhortations sprinkled in. There hasn't been much exhortation. It's been, wow, let's point to Jesus. And that's appropriate. Now, in light of what an amazing being he is, don't be sluggish when it comes to his word. You seek it. You get saturated in it. You Put it into practice and use it. You teach somebody else about it. (laughs) Something happens when you decide, I'm going to move beyond the ABCs. I've been stuck long enough. Something also happens in America every January. After... Probably overeating through the holidays. Millions of Americans make a vow to get a fresh start in January. They make vows, they make resolutions, and they join some kind of gym or Y or fitness club. It's like, I'm going to start, right? One in eight new members join the fitness clubs in January. And many facilities see an increase of between 30% and 50% in January over just what it was before. In an article about this, Derek Thompson writes this, Stop by your local gym soon after January 1st and the ellipticals will be flush with new faces. But next thing you know, it will be April Our gym cards will be mocking us from our wallets, and our tummies will have sprouted on cue with the tree buds. In January, our cup of willpower overfloweth. But by June, the odds that you've kept your New Year's resolutions fall to under 40%. So the call today is this. Get in the spiritual gym. And stay in the spiritual gym. And do your part so that God will take you along and move you forward to maturity. Move beyond the basics and mature. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.